Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning. It's good to be with all of you. I am Pastor Mike, if we have not had the chance to meet. This morning, I want to jump in with an announcement before we get into the text. Tonight, we kind of have an all-hands-on-deck event. We're doing our trunk or treat. And in this community, and this blows me away, we will have up to 10% of our city show up on this campus. Like, that doesn't happen anywhere in the United States with events. 10%. We'll have up to 5,000 people showing up today. To make that happen, we need a bunch of cars, a bunch of candy, and a bunch of volunteers. So if you would be willing to bring your car and probably close to 500 pieces of candy, you and some of your friends, and you're going to park over in the parking lot over here, they'll direct you if you can get here around 3 o'clock if you haven't signed up to come. And if you're willing, come and just help meet people. Uh, greet people. The reason why we do this is to connect people to you all who love Jesus and know Jesus and to his church. So when you come, it gives you the opportunity to have relationships with parents while kids have incredible experiences. So we'd love to have you. You make a difference when you show up at these types of events. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We've been working through Ephesians 4 last week. Sean worked us through the first part of verse 4. The first part of verse 4 says this, There is one body and one spirit. And Sean did a great job helping us understand what that means. Today, we're going to look at the second part of the verse. And it says this, Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Hope is a big deal. Uh, If you don't have hope, it's hard to move forward. And here in the text, God directs us to where this hope is found. It says we have this one hope, not a bunch of different hopes, but we have this one hope in our calling. I would suggest to you that people are looking for hope all around you. People that know Jesus still struggle. People that don't know Jesus are really struggling at trying to find hope. And the question is, can we find hope both in the peaks and the valleys of our life? Sometimes everything's going okay and sometimes nothing's going okay. In those moments where nothing is going okay, do you still experience hope? Or does it start to fade based upon your circumstances and situations? Uh, I know we're looking for hope. Uh, If you love sports, it's probably because you always have a hope that your team's gonna pull it out. Uh, Sometimes you're the underdog, but you'll still go to the game, you'll still watch it on TV, why? Because there's a shot, right? There's a shot. Uh, So we're right around the corner from having all those Hallmark Christmas movies coming back. And if you've watched one, you've seen all of them. Sorry if... So the same thing always happens. The best-looking guy and the best-looking girl in town happen to see each other. They, like, share some cocoa. They touch hands. And what do you know? By the end of the movie, they're together. I've just summarized every single Hallmark movie. But... For my wife, the fact that she knows they're going to get together, even though he's from the city and she's from the country, how are they going to get through that conflict? Even though they go through that amazing conflict, like you just know they're going to get together. So the ladies in my house love watching it because they just know how it's going to end. There's going to be a smile. There's hope. But I think for some of us, we look for hope in a lot of places where we're not actually going to find it. Sometimes we look for hope in the things that we see and the things that we touch you know, our our stuff, our home, our car, our hobbies. Sometimes we place our hope in the things we can feel, like relationships and that person that makes you feel a certain way. Maybe it's in your 
schedule that you have certainty of what you're gonna to do tomorrow and you find hope in knowing that you're gonna get done everything you need to get done tomorrow. Maybe a checklist is how you find hope. Maybe it's in your pets is how you find hope. Maybe it's in the next cup of coffee is where you find hope. For a lot of us, we find hope in whatever the next thing is. Like today's really hard, but the next thing, everything's gonna to come together. I'm gonna to make the team, I'm gonna graduate, I'm gonna be set up for that career. That career's gonna go just the way I want it to. I'm gonna move up, I'm gonna advance. That salary's gonna keep going up. The checking account's gonna keep going up. I'm gonna find that right person and I'm gonna marry that right person. And then we're gonna have kids and we're gonna have grandkids and we're gonna go on vacations or we're gonna retire and we continue to try to find hope in the next thing. We're always, always looking for sources of hope. So when you type into Google, like good quotes on hope, I mean, you've got hundreds to choose from. I just wanna share a couple with you. Martin Luther King Jr. says this, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. He distinguishes between finite and infinite, and that being where hope is located. Charles Spurgeon, who was a pastor from hundreds of years ago, he says, hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity and only to be discovered in the night of adversity. So he would say hope becomes bright when everything else feels dark. And I've never quoted William Shakespeare before in a sermon, but here it is. The miserable have no other medicine, but only hope. So in that hardest moment, in that darkest day, hope, Hope is the medicine. We're always looking for hope. So when it comes to scripture, when it comes to Ephesians chapter four, verse four, what does the word hope mean? Let's start with the definition. Uh, the word is elpis in the Greek, and the definition is a little confusing, but, but listen to it and let's work through it. It's the desire for some good with the expectation of obtaining it. The object of hope is the thing hoped for. What it's saying is hope is this thing in front of you and the belief that you can actually get that thing. But the question is, what's the thing that you're putting in front of you? Is it something that you can actually draw hope from? Is it going to be there when you need it? Is it going to be there forever? What's the object of your hope? Now, the big question that I think we need that needs to rattle around in us, and it's already in there, it's just a matter of putting a finger on it. The question is, have we placed our hope in something we can actually trust? For you in the day-to-day, -day, have you placed your hope in something you can actually trust? That thing in front of you, if you put all your weight on it, does it hold you up? Today, tomorrow, next week, and forever. For Christians, the Bible's very clear. Our hope is found in our calling. Ephesians 4.4 4 says that. We find our hope in our calling. And as we've worked through Ephesians, you've heard that calling is the same as the gospel, our salvation. We put our hope, our one hope, in the gospel message, in our salvation. And Paul's been connecting this idea of calling and hope now for a while in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul is praying. And this is what he prays. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, all the stuff inside of you that matters, your will, your intent, your emotions, that all of it would be enlightened, that your eyes would be 
made wide so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, so that you would know the hope of his calling. He's praying that your eyes would be open so that you could just see and understand the salvation that he has given you. Then in Ephesians 4, 4, our verse for today, it says, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So 118 talks about the fact that we should have hope in his calling. 4.4 says you should have hope in your calling. His calling is the call that he has to all believers to know him as Savior and Lord, that salvation experience. But he also says, if you know Jesus, you've been called by God. So there's faith in this gospel message that God has provided and given to you. But he also presents the other side. The other side is this. Remember at the time when you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. If you know Jesus, your hope is huge. It's now and forever kind of hope. He says, if you don't know Jesus, you're still separated from God and you are without hope. There's no in-between. Either you have access to incredible hope or there is no hope. It's something to remember when you're in the coffee shop, when you're talking to your neighbor, when you're talking to your kid's parents, when you're talking to whoever's in your life. Do they know Jesus? Do they have access to hope? Without the gospel, there is no hope. So all of those things we listed above, sports, movies, the things we see, the things we feel, those are not the things that give us ultimate hope. They give us good feelings. We enjoy those things, but our source of hope must be our salvation, our calling, the gospel that God's provided. So when we talk about the gospel, we'll often use 10 words to describe the gospel. Some of the aspects of the gospel have already taken place. Some of them are right now, and some are yet to come. The first four words set the stage. God creates. God has made all things, including you, just as he intended it to be. He designed us and fashioned us to have a relationship with him, to have this vertical relationship with him. He made us with emotions and thoughts and intentionality so that we can know him and know him well. He's also designed us to have relationships with one another. He set the stage, but sin broke everything. Sin breaks. It broke that relationship that we have with God. It oftentimes breaks the relationship we have with one another. The Bible says it even broke the world itself. Sin breaks everything. So that's the starting point. And with that being the starting point, there isn't much hope right there. So hope comes from the next two words. Jesus saves. So Jesus steps into a broken world where in sin and rebellion, we've turned away from God. We've broken everything, including our relationship with him. But Jesus steps in and he dies on the cross because the sin that we've committed has punishment. So Jesus takes the punishment of our sins. And in doing so, he can offer salvation to anyone and everyone who believes in him. So the stage was set, 
We know what did happen, but then there's a moment in time when you make a decision to place your faith in Jesus. And when that happens, the Bible says you're saved. For some of you, you've had that moment in time. It's part of your testimony of how God changed your life. For some of you here this morning, maybe today is your moment. Today is your moment where you place your faith in Jesus for the first time. And the Bible says incredible things happen the moment that you know him as Lord and Savior. That's something you can do in your seat. You can make that decision. At the end of service, we'll have people on either end of the stage who would love to pray with you, talk with you about how you can know Jesus and have the hope we're talking about today. And even though in the moment you're changed, you're saved, the Bible also says there's something yet to come, that God restores the brokenness that you've experienced is remedied in the gospel, but is fully experienced in our forever when God restores, remakes, and renews all things. So the question today, though, is how do I live it out today? So the rest of the sermon is going to go this way. What are the things that are now already true of you because of the gospel? And what are the things that are not yet true of you, but are yet to come with the gospel? Because if our one hope is supposed to land on the gospel, then we have to understand how that gospel works and functions in our life today. In the present tense, how does the past tense and the future tense affect me today? The gospel speaks into that. Jesus saves. There are aspects of our salvation that are in the past tense. Have you ever noticed that when you're reading the New Testament? Sometimes descriptions of you are in the past tense. For example, John 1.12 says this, to as many as received Jesus, to them he gave, past tense, the right to become children of God. They received Jesus, and then Jesus already gave to them the right to become children of God. If you've received Jesus, you already are, right now, a child of God. It's already true of you. The Bible also says in Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, already happened with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. If you know Jesus, you already have every spiritual blessing in Jesus. It's past tense, it's already true of you. So when we're talking about that object that we place our faith in and we receive hope from, is part of it is what is already true of you. You're a child of God. You're already blessed by God with every spiritual blessing you need in the here and now. Another verse, Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have already, past tense, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So we're not still seeking redemption, the Bible says you've already been given redemption in the work of Jesus. You already have it. You are a child. You are blessed. You are redeemed. And the last verse that I want to show, present is Ephesians 1.13, where it says, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. Already past tense. You already have it. So how do these things change our perspective? How do these things create hope? What the Bible's saying here is spiritually, everything you need, you already have been given in Jesus. Everything you need for salvation, you've already been given. 
So that shakiness of, does God still care about me? That nervousness of, do I still have access to him? All of that is now gone. The Bible's very clear, past tense, this already happens, you already possess this, you are a child of God. You're forgiven and you're blessed. You're redeemed, pulled out of slavery to have a relationship and full access to God. You are saved and you are sealed. These have already taken place. God's already done these things and worked these things into you. You can place your hope in that. Hope in your calling includes hope in what God has already done for you through the work of Jesus. Your salvation, your calling, it's your hope. But we also have hope in the not yet. We have hope in the not yet, the fact that one day God restores all things. And the Bible's very clear on that. One day God remakes, he renews, and he restores everything that he's been made. Everything that was broken is fixed. That's God's intention, that's God's forever plan. So for you and me, that means some things. There's still some things that we have to look forward to. Number one, sin, struggle, and temptation are removed, they're gone. Even the desire to sin is simply gone when we're remade and renewed and with God forever. The brokenness in our relationships is gone. The brokenness in our relationship with him is completely gone. Sin is eradicated. And even the leftover scarring of sin is, is gone. It says he makes a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven and earth are joined together. A new heaven and a new earth, just the way God intended. And we get to live there and be with him and with one another. It says that we receive a new body, a body that's eternal, a body that's imperishable, a body that's free from sickness, pain, disease. And all of creation is renewed. And we get to be a part of that new creation, a part of that new heaven. The Bible also says that we'll get to be in God's very presence in heaven face to face. With God in his presence face to face. Now we know, we talked about it this summer, God is already everywhere. Like we are right now in the presence of God. But there's something about heaven that is slightly different than what we're experiencing right now. Even when Jesus was on earth, he talked about this. He prays and says, our father who art in heaven. Jesus knows the father was present with him, but he also knows the father, his presence is manifest in a special way in heaven. In Isaiah 66, one, it says, heaven is my throne, God speaking. First Peter 3.22 says, Jesus now has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. The Bible says Jesus is with us right now, but at the same time, he's uniquely in heaven at the right hand of God. The way this is explained, uh, a theologian named Wayne Grudem says it this way, heaven is a place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. Heaven is a place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. And the Bible says we get to be there. We get to see him. We get to have a relationship with him. In Revelation 22, four, it says, and we will see him face to face. If there's nothing else today that you hold on to to give you hope, 
hold on to that verse. In Revelation 22.4, it says, they will see his face. Just like when you sit across from the table in the morning when you're eating breakfast with your spouse or your kids, you will see God the Father face to face forever. Full access. What right now feels like a shadowy window that we're looking through is crystal clear. And there's God face to face forever. And that creates hope. Sin gone, remade, renewed, new body with God forever. And it's for sure, it's certain, and it provides hope in the hard moments now. So Abraham, we're told that Abraham has faith and that faith saves Abraham. Here in Hebrews 11, we see a picture of what that faith looks like. And I would suggest to you, it looks a lot like what we're describing today, that he has faith in the already, what God has already promised. And Abraham also has faith in the not yet, what God has yet to fulfill. Listen to these words, verses nine and 10 from Hebrews 11. It says, and even when he, Abraham, reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promises. So he's enjoying some of the aspects of God's promises in his everyday life, him along with his child and his grandchild. Like they are there together, enjoying that. It says, then Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So Abraham is living out the promises of God. God is fulfilling those promises. He has two feet standing day by day in those promises, enjoying that reality. But at the same time, he is looking forward to an eternal city, a forever city, whose builder and architect is God himself. What it's saying is he has one eye on the present reality of God's promises, but he always has one eye on what is yet to come. Both of those things provide confidence for him. Both of those things create a place for hope to spring up inside of Abraham. That's what God's calling us to. We believe in his promises for today, that we're saved and forgiven and redeemed and a child of God. At the same time, we have one eye always on what is yet to come, that God will restore. You will be made new, dwelling with him face to face forever. One eye in the moment and one eye in what is yet to come. That's where the hope of our calling comes from. So Abraham had faith in that. Faith is connected to hope. Hope in the valley. As we mentioned at the beginning, and you know this, if you've lived any time on earth, life is a series of ups and downs, peaks and valleys, moments in the sunshine, days in the dark. And in our calling, hope is laid before us. What I mean by that is when we looked at the definition of hope, is there's a thing that you place your hope in and you believe you can attain it and it can be yours. And the Bible says that thing has got to be your salvation. It's got to be the gospel. If it's anything else, it will fall apart. It's your calling. So you place your hope in that. It's laid before us. Hope here is connected to faith. Is faith in what God has already said is true of you? 
and his faith in what God says is not yet true. It's coming, but it's not yet here. There's an already and a not yet aspect to our salvation. So can we, can we find faith and deep hope in our everyday life? Can we truly find this faith and deep hope in our everyday difficult life? My wife and I got to go to the Baylor-West Virginia game, which was an incredible game. And on the way home, we left a little bit before the fourth quarter was over, and I realized how it ended, and I realized I missed out. I've been told that a thousand times. We were listening to it on the radio. But we're on 79. If you're on 79, I mean, the road goes like this, right? There is no other traffic on the road. And I don't love driving in the dark. Probably should be wearing glasses. I'm not. I can kind of see where I'm going. That makes me feel good. Um, <laughs> but I'm really focused on the white line and the dotted line to make sure I'm staying in there. I have no lights to follow, so I'm just watching the lines, and it's foggy, like really foggy. My wife is sitting beside me, and she goes, deer. I look up, and there are three deer in the left-hand lane, and there's one in the right-hand lane. You know, we're going speed limit plus, uh, so we're moving, and uh, you look up, and you really just have a moment to respond to these four deer. Thankfully, I somehow weaved right in between them, and we kept going, and both of us were just kind of like, whew, okay? So in that moment, what did that do to my faith and my hope? The following Tuesday, I make a turn off of McCorkle. If any of you noticed that the town was shut down for 30 minutes, that was my fault. I made a left-hand turn, and I misjudged. I hit the deer okay, but I misjudged the turn, and I got hit, and my car got totaled. I was able to walk away but my car is still in the process of being impounded and destroyed, like it's gone. What does that do to my hope? What does that do to my faith? How do circumstances affect your hope and your faith and your trust in God? How does it affect that, how does it affect that thing that you're placing your trust into when the circumstances hit you like that? What if tomorrow? Well, if tomorrow, and I'm not wishing this on myself or anyone, I get back into my car, it'll have to be a new car or I'm in my rental still, but I get back into that car and this time I'm in an accident and I don't quite walk away from it. I'm physically not quite the same. If you know me, I love to be active. I love being out on my bike and hiking and doing things and maybe that all goes away. Split between the deer, lost a car but walked away and then maybe didn't walk away. How do those different events shape my hope? How do those circumstances change the way I view God and trust God? Do circumstances impact and affect your faith and hope? And if you're still imagining me the one being in the car, I want you to imagine you in the car. I want you to imagine your loved one in the car. What about when that happens to you? or to someone you care about. What does that do to your faith? How does that affect your hope? Is your hope just as high in the good moments as it is in the super hard moments, in the super, super hard moments? How does it affect your hope? Does it rattle your faith? What I wanna to express to you is this, it is super dangerous for us to connect our hope to our circumstances. 
If you're connecting your hope to your circumstances, your hope is going to rattle and shake and crack and fall apart. That's why he says our one hope is in our calling, the truth of who we are in Jesus and the truth of what is yet to come. The moment that we put our hope in our circumstances, the stuff we see, the stuff we feel, the next step, when you do that, oh, brother and sister in Christ, you start to question God. You start to question his love. Your faith starts to crumble and your hope just goes away and despair sets in. I'm gonna get some props. I know John's the props guy, but I felt like I needed these props. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna pretend that these are hiking sticks. Obviously these are snow sticks, like these are ski poles, but we're gonna pretend these are hiking sticks. So when it comes to these valleys, when things don't go the way you expect or the way you want, or something very tragic happens, when you're in the valley, it's slick, it's steep. Every step is dangerous. And if you're hiking through a valley and those things are true, oftentimes you grab some hiking sticks. Why? Because by placing them down, you create some security. By using them, you have more points of contact to what is going to stabilize you. And now you can walk through things safely. What God is saying here with the gospel in the valley is that there are things already true of you. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are saved. You are a child of God. And by knowing that, in those darkest moments, you can find some security and some stability. Child of God, one day you're going to see me face to face. You, me, and the church forever. Everything is made new. And by believing that, boom. I really like that to make a louder noise when I hit it down there. So we'll just go boom. Like it stabilizes you. It puts you in a position where now you can manage the next step. You can still have hope when circumstances would tell you you are hopeless. So in the valley, you and I go through different valleys. We go through different hard moments, each of us in the room. And even though they're different things, there are gonna be some things that are gonna feel the same for both of us. Your life is gonna feel out of control. There's times when anxiety is going to set in. There's times when you're gonna have feelings of despair. There's times when you're gonna feel uncertain, uncomfortable, perhaps even in pain. Maybe we help create the valley that we're in. Maybe we're just put into it because our world is broken. The ground feels unstable. The ground feels slick. I'm not sure I'm gonna make it on this next step. It may feel like you're falling apart in the valley in the dark day. It might feel like you should just give up. It might feel like you're dying. The Old Testament also talks about this. In Psalm 23, the psalmist points us to what is already true, points to the valley of death, and then points to what is yet to come. And he's able to work through the valley of the shadow of the death because of what is true and what is yet to be true. Listen to these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Present tense realities. David leans on the fact that he has this relationship with God where he is his shepherd. 
and he lacks nothing spiritually because he has his shepherd. It's the already nature of our relationship with God. It's already true. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and catch it. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You are my shepherd. I do not lack. And I will dwell with you forever. So when you hit the middle of the psalm, it's the valley. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And it feels like you're going to die. He gives you what is already true and what is yet to come as your stability, your source of hope and comfort. Now, you sitting here and listening to a sermon and me giving a sermon on hope doesn't mean that you're going to walk out of here and tomorrow and the next day feel much more hopeful. It doesn't, it doesn't come from just doing one rep, okay? At the gym, I have people all the time come in and they think if they just do a couple workouts, they're going to be in really good shape. That's not how it works. You have to go in day after day after week after month after years to get in shape and be in shape. That's how hope works. So it's absolutely crucial for you and for me to be in God's word together, to continue to be reminded of what's true of us and what is yet to come, because that's where the hope comes from. So you've got to do your reps. You've got to do your reps. You've got to get stronger in your hope muscle. Spend time with God's people. When you spend time with God's people, you're reminded of the truths of the gospel. Come every Sunday and sing the truths of the hope that you have in the gospel. We sing about these truths. So you want to rehearse them in your heart, in your mind. Listen to them in your car. Have conversations with your kids and grandkids. Like every day we need to be working on this understanding of his gospel and the beauty of what is already true and what is yet to come. And when we do those things, our hope grows. The object of our hope becomes something that's stable and secure and can support you in the darkest of valleys. We have one hope, and that hope is in his calling, the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are here, and I thank you we can place our faith in you as Lord and Savior. Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you died in our place. I pray if there's anyone here today that needs to know you as Lord and Savior, that they would make their way after the last song to someone over here on either side of the stage to pray with them, to know you as Lord and Savior. That can happen today. For us who live in a broken world and continue to walk through valleys, give us hope in you, Jesus. In the things that we do, provide us with the constant reminder of your gospel, all that you have done and all that you will do. May we find our hope in you and you alone, our shepherd. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.